It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> Welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. This is episode 363. We're recording on Thursday, March 19th, 2020. Um, it used to be that I didn't know that mattered that much, the date. <laughs> oh, you it know, matters now. <laughs> and it matters now in a real way. And this whole episode, we're going to de- devote to COVID-19's impact on the world of books and reading. Um, and it is significant and developing and um, by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure things will be different. Though we're approaching a point with books and reading that the things that are, can shut down will shut down. Um, so we might enter this hurry up and wait mm-hmm. um, part of the story, which I think, I guess I'm feeling as much as anything right now, a hurry up and wait mentality really in the last four or five days. And um, that's kind of where I am, Rebecca. Where are you today? I'm in that same place. Like, you know, I think like many if not most of us, one of the hardest things for me is just a place of in between. Mm-hmm. You know, I can get okay with a bad situation if I know the bad situation and I can just do the things. Uh, and every day it feels like we're getting a little bit closer to actually knowing like what this is going to be and or at least what we're supposed to be doing and how it's going to look for publishing specifically. But right now I'm really feeling the like it's different today than it was yesterday and yesterday it was different than the day before mm-hmm. and tomorrow it will probably be different. That's that has been rough. Um, Before I forget, I want to let our listeners know that at the end of the show, they will get to hear an interview that I'm doing with our friend, Josh Christie, who is one of the co-owners of Print, which is a great independent bookstore in Portland, Maine. You've probably heard him on here before. And we will be talking specifically about this impact, the impact of COVID on indie bookstores, which I know is a big concern for a lot of the folks listening to this show. And we've certainly seen a lot of concern and questions about what's going to happen now and what's been happening um, among our contributors and among our readers. So stay tuned for that. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. And maybe that's a good place to start. It's hard to know... Um, again, this, we're going to focus on the part of the world that this thing uh, touches that is our domain. Um, of course, it's touching every industry. Books and reading, relatively speaking, uh, I'm not sure it's the worst industry to be in. It's also not the best. So I think in the, like a lot of industries, businesses, it's going to be subject to the larger climate. And even within the industry, the pain is not going to be distributed evenly. And I think probably indie bookstores... Um, are the most uh, in jeopardy, right? I mean, they, for a long time, uh, really always, but especially in this new model in which they've shown increased resilience and, um, you know, basically success in the age of Amazon has been about being local, being physical, being open, being meat space kinds of things. You could come in and serve your local community. And if your community shuts down and you have to shut down, kind of what's left. And, you know, you can do online orders and it looks like at least initially there's been some good responses in, in some communities to support their local independent bookstores that stay open for deliveries or come in or whatever. But as time goes on and as the stricture, uh, the restrictions on movement become more and more, I, I don't want to use draconian because that may, that seems unfair where because they're necessary. Strict, strict yeah. yeah, become more and more, um, you know, Inconducive to even doing things like going out and getting pizza or buy, you know, picking up your order curbside. Indie bookstores are really very, very subject um, to pain, and that's that's true across the board. And 
I'm not sure there's anything else to say that besides what you and Josh will talk about. I guess on the very big scale, there are, even within the world of indies, not all indies are the same. And on yeah. the top line indie level, we got news this week, unsurprisingly now, even in 40 hours of, of hindsight, that Powell's um, and McNally Jackson are closing for the foreseeable future and laying off um, almost their entire staffs, um, which understandably has, has caused the people who are being laid off uh, a unbelievable amount of pain. We got a, um, an email from um, a bookseller at Powell's who's very frustrated and understandably so. Um, on the other hand, if you have no revenue, uh, where does the payment come from? Um, most businesses, let alone small business, let alone book selling businesses, don't have three months of cash laying around to, to continue paying expenses out of. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but that's where the front line of pain seems to be right now is on the world of physical books. Um, retail, and especially the independent bookstore. Yeah, indie bookstores run on low margins. Most of the time, at least the part-time booksellers and many full-time booksellers don't have access to store-provided health insurance because that cost is very expensive. Um, and for McNally Jackson, which operates in New York, employee or employer-provided health insurance bonkers expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you were saying, they're because they run on low margins and just the world of book selling is a very like that's a very small profit margin that you're running on most of these stores like there's no way to build up a cash reserve mm-hmm. um to have any sort of cushion so staring down the barrel of closing and knowing that no money will be coming in um is i think terrifying and very sad for everybody up and down the chain. Um, mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of I've seen a lot of anger expressed about the owners of these stores, especially the owners of McNally Jackson, um, and the way that they've approached this and that it feels cold. And like, there's, there's no way around that it feels cold. It's awful to be. It's awful to be on either end of the interaction in which someone is being let go. Um, yeah. It's horrible to be in the position where you have to decide to make these to let people go. I think, you know, we, you know, I have a much smaller operation than McNally Jackson, but we feel the weight of responsibility of mm-hmm. 15 people that we employ full time. And it's scary to think about not being able to support those folks who have put their trust in us. And I know this was a tough decision for anybody who's looking at it. I think it's really also interesting that it's McNally Jackson and Powell's two of the big indies. And um, when I record the interview with Josh tomorrow, I'm going to ask him um, specifically about this, that the I think the big stores might have some challenges that the smaller stores don't have in this way, Mm. where one of the things that Powell said in their statement was that they weren't going to be able to honor the social distancing guidelines. And so they decided to fully close. And I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Those are big stores. They also do have lots of employees. But as you were saying, one of the things we've seen smaller stores do is close down to the public, but fulfill orders, do curbside delivery or do drop off at home delivery and have ways for, you know, maybe one or two booksellers to be in the store at a time, keeping appropriate distance from each other, washing their hands a lot, and then getting the goods to the people who have purchased Mm -hmm. them without having any contact. And it might be easier to execute something like that in a smaller situation. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, um, I know both of these stores pretty well. Powell's better than I know McNally Jackson anymore, though I lived in New York for a long time. The Burnside location in downtown Portland is an enormous store. It's a city block. Um, I'm sure at this point I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're making the best decision as they understand it in the moment that they're making it. Uh, that All that being said, that is a cu- I was curious about that too. Powell's has an enormous online presence. Um, I don't know at this moment if you can buy books online at powells.com and have them fulfilled. Um, you know, I'm sure if you have a local indie that you want to support and if they have an e-commerce platform, I think most of those are still available. Um, so go check those out for sure. But it is tough because, I mean, part of it would be if you're in the position of a McNally Jackson or a Powell's and you aren't sitting on six months worth of cash, which is, I'm assuming they're not, or even two months worth of cash, you're trying to have jobs for people to come back to. Um, Maybe there won't be as many jobs, but I can only imagine the overhead at that giant um, aircraft carrier of a location downtown is huge, even when it's closed. (laughs) And McNally Jackson, they're going to have to pay their rent no matter what. Um, And in order to keep, not the lights on, but to keep a footprint, to keep something that you can flip the sign from closed to open to, 
you've got to cut costs immediately. Now, maybe you could argue that some of these stores and other businesses, restaurants, whatever, should have more of a runway, more of a, a cushion. Um, in those situations, how much should it be? Can you really plan for an event like this? I'm not sure what's reasonable. I don't work in those industries. I don't know what their margins are. I don't know what their operating costs are. I assume it's not very big. I think one thing we're going to find is that over the last 11 years, we've been a part of the one of the great expansions in economic history the mm -hmm. world has ever seen, not just America. And some business that could survive in a great expansion like that will not be able to survive survive in something that's not that, in a recession, even if it's only a couple quarters long. Success sometimes hides problems, to quote the great Ed Catmulls, um, that I think about a lot, is I think, I wonder if some of the success we've had in the economy over the last 11 years has hidden some problems, that independent bookstores could open and thrive, as it looks like, um, if that just means making their monthly nut every month and keeping the doors open. Is that thriving, um, if you don't have enough to get through a couple months of bad I'm not sure. Maybe that will reset some people's expectations of insurance or margins or whatever else. I don't know where that extra margin would come from, frankly. Um, but it does make me wonder, not just about this, but restaurants and a lot of the mm -hmm. service industry things that we're seeing. It's like, boy, maybe maybe we're running on the wrong business model. Um, and, and I'm sure it applies to other industries that, because of the way they operate, aren't as affected by having to close physical doors um, immediately. From there... We can go a lot of different directions. I mean, in the daily life of readers, I think the next biggest one that Im impacts the daily life of readers is the library closures we're yeah. seeing all over the place. Um, and I'm not sure what to say about that. I think it's the responsible thing to do. I think there's really no option, um, given what we know at this point. There's a lot we don't know, but given what we know, it seems the prudent thing to do. Libraries, you know, the, the, the losers there really are um, the patrons. They don't get the services that libraries provide. Um, libraries are still going to get funded, presumably that you know that the governments are still going to open them back up at some point. So that's really more of um, a service closure. Remarkable, we've seen stuff is happening we've never seen in our lifetimes, and even in our parents' lifetimes. Going back to World War II, things like this don't happen, where you close libraries for weeks on end, which I think is really still hard for a lot of us to wrap our heads around. I'm not sure. Um, what else to say about widespread library closures, of course, in all situations like that is the most vulnerable people that, ex that are going to pay the highest price because they need the services more than others. Um, in library schools, public services of all kind, the public being the public part of this, that makes it very hard to do, um, to, to act rationally and reasonably for the greater good, knowing that it's the most vulnerable that are going to bear the brunt initially, at least, of the cost uh, of those closures. Yeah. Just uh, scary, true things. Yeah. Um, I think we're seeing the weak points in a lot of our social structures. Yes, I um, think so too. And the only way that I can get my head around even like the little part of what can, like what can I do? Because um, I think we all are also feeling like very helpless, like staying home is an act of service and that you're helping protect yourself and vulnerable people from infection mm -hmm. but like what what else can i do and i've come to the place of like well i if you are in the spot where you can afford to buy your reading material buy yeah. your reading material because you support local businesses and then you're also not you know cluttering up the ebook queue mm -hmm. line of your local library from someone who needs that access um and it's really unfortunate that all the print materials are not going to be available to folks who don't have access to technology to read yeah ebooks um and i don't know if we can get to a place of like big book drives i have legitimately thought about just like putting a bag of books at the end of my driveway with a mm -hmm. you know free to a good home sign and i think maybe just little acts like that um that we can take but supporting folks as you can um supporting local businesses as you can and knowing that that's not just keeping helping support that business but creating space for someone who needs access to a free yeah. service to take yeah. the access to the free service that's right um my hometown independent bookstore the raven in lawrence kansas is uh, putting a bunch of books out on the sidewalk for free and other people mm -hmm. from the community are then putting things out there. So I think we're going to see some of these ad hoc um, kind of things happen, um, but they're all ad hoc and it is difficult to know now. I, I found my, I was talking to Michelle, you know, as, as we were talking about all these things, like feeling like I wish I could, you know, like when there's a flood or something, you see those images of people like putting sandbags down by the river. Yeah. You know, like I would be, I'd love right. to put the sandbag down by the river, but yeah. like mm -hmm. you can't go volunteer at a hospital. 
um, for a lot of reasons, maybe in the fullness of time, once some of us get it and then don't have it, or other situations we can volunteer in other ways, but it really is a particular kind of helplessness to know that, you know, I'm not in an, my job isn't, um, I'm not a medical professional or something else like that. Um, my job right now is to hold tight and not make it worse um, yeah. before I can help make make it better. Um, in libraries, I think we're to the point where I think um, de Blasio's comments about the New York Public Library were distressing that he was angry at the idea that libraries are closing and apparently was threatening to slash their budgets. And I think that's wrong, but I think it came out of an understanding of how important libraries mm-hmm. are to communities. Um, New York, maybe, I don't know if it's more than other communities. I think it has its different role in, in, in the New York area. And it's in New York, having a hard time closing schools because for a lot of kids, that's the safest place they can be for a lot of different reasons. And it's heartbreaking and um, distressing to know that's true and have to be in a position to say the greater good is that we close this down, even if it means um, that there are people who are going to disproportionately suffer as we protect others. Um, so, you know, maybe just sort of kind of going down the line, I guess the next line from there, the authors, I guess, who have books coming out now, um, I mean, there's not that many and it's, it's hard to know. And it's, it's one of the worst breaks you're ever going to get as an author, I think, to have something Mm -hmm. like this happen with events being canceled, books, not, not in stores, you know, the kind of book, maybe especially that would do well in an independent bookstore, your mid-list fiction kinds of authors, particularly hammered. Um, events all over the publishing and book reading world from you know, the Festival of Books in Arizona to, I'm not even, you know, um, yeah. PLA. I mean, everything that there's, you can think of that's hap- that's supposed to happen in the next couple months isn't going to, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, there's a huge post, I think it's a Publishers Weekly that they created a week or two ago or maybe even further, uh, further ago than that when this was just starting. And it was like, here is the thread where we will document the things that get yeah. canceled as they get canceled. And it started off as, you know, like three things and they would maybe add one a day. And now it's super long. And it really should just say like, is there a thing you thought you were going to do between now and June 1st? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that thing is canceled just like an hour ago. Um, PW had a piece out releasing a statement from Reed, which runs Book Expo, that they are looking for new dates. Book Expo was supposed to be the week of Memorial Day. It was like May 27th through uh, June 1st. And yesterday, Penguin Random House um, announced that they were pulling out of Book Expo. That's a huge deal. Yeah. And, uh, definitely a harbinger of other publishers to come, other concerns. I think it's just impossible now to commit to anything happening before the middle of June. Impossible. So we will see uh, what Book Expo does for rescheduled dates. I think right now, here on March 19th, it's encouraging that they are looking for rescheduled dates and not just a full-out cancellation. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of thing, a lot of entities are doing the seven stages of grief around That's their events, true. you know. And there's there may be into the bargaining stage that we can reschedule for some time later. You know, at, at 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 one point, if it's six months later, why not just wait until next year, right? I mean, what mm-hmm. good is it going to do you? Maybe if you can get it, squeeze it in in July, maybe before August. I mean, who knows? It's the 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 river is changing so fast that to build anything on the shore of this river seems foolhardy. Um, at best, and outright dangerous, possibly yeah. at worst. And we've heard, you know, publication dates being moved yeah. for authors, things that were supposed to come out in March, April, May, getting bumped to the fall or just getting bumped to like shruggy man indefinitely. Yeah. Right. And folks who do still have books coming out are definitely not getting like there's they're not going on tours, they're not having events, uh, they're not getting the full weight of, in many cases, their publishers' promotional mm-hmm. capacities. Some publishers are now, you know, unable to ship out paper galleys because they don't have people in their offices. So it's all just digital galleys. And that I don't know how effective that's going to be given the history of publishing sort of relying on paper galleys. I do think we should get rid of them. And maybe this maybe this will be a step towards digital galleys for everything and saving a lot of trees. Um, but just re- a really rough go if you were preparing to launch a book this spring really rough and I think authors are starting to get creative we're seeing zoom calls and you know skype book club visits I got an email yesterday proposing a blog tour which is something I hadn't heard wow right I hadn't heard that term since like 2011 um where people are trying what they can try and it's one of those moments of creativity I I think that a silver lining maybe, or maybe this is one of the stages of grief, is um, 
a moment like this can be liberating for trying a bunch of things yeah. and thinking of creative solutions and like, well, we weren't going to try this before or we were afraid to try it, but like, why not try it now? Because everything is kind of on the line and we might as mm. well um, take big swings. Interesting to see what people do, but my heart just goes out to everybody, like first of all, who's lost their job or worried about their ongoing future, but authors and folks who were looking forward to these releases and like marking a big coming out into the world of a work you've been putting so much time into for a yeah. long time. It's just, it's a rough one. That's a brutal. Um, I guess then that kind of leads us to um, the, the big question of which all these other kinds of stories are, but um, capillary to, which is how is the, the publishing world going to hold up? Because I had, I've had friends of mine say, well, you guys are in a good industry. Like we're online, okay, so we can mm. work and do our thing. And people are reading books. And, you know, 60% of American trade books flow through a digital retailer, um, for better or worse, uh, called Amazon, which seems to be functioning. And we'll talk a little bit, I think, that, you know, even Amazon is having to pri differently prioritize what they're doing. I mean, appar apparently it's the toilet paper industry's moment to um, shine. Um, I don't know that's going to <clears throat> wipe away all of our fears yeah. about the retail industry, but it, at face value, it would make a certain degree of sense that books, audiobooks, ebooks, and then print books by mail, you could be worse. Like it could be 1991 and this is happening for the world of books and reading, right, Rebecca? Yeah. Am, I, am I being, what, what, are we, what are we doing with this? I think without ebooks, this is a much bigger problem. Yeah. Than, and without even Amazon. Yeah, even, I mean, than right? it already is. And also yeah. without the internet, just in general, like work from home is so much more doable than it's ever been before. Like this is the, the best time in history to have a worldwide yeah. pandemic where everyone has to stay home. We have more connectivity and more access to each other than ever before. And like, I think this is also a moment where the industry might evolve, where they're discovering that work from home is possible. Um, if you have a strong enough, like I heard from one publisher last week that they were still in their offices, like, you know, on Friday yeah. last week. Um, and it was because they weren't sure the company wasn't sure that the VPN was strong enough yeah. to support everyone working from home, like th figuring that out is going to become a big priority. How do you make mm -hmm. your system strong enough? But then there's room to decrease overhead if you conclude like, oh, wait, people can have efficient meetings by zoom calls, they don't actually need to be in the same conference room together, maybe more of our staff can work from home, or more people mm -hmm. can have flex time, and we can have smaller overhead with these giant office spaces. Like, I think that this is going to change just in general, like the world of work. Um, a lot of employers are discovering that it's totally possible when you're forced to, to have ways for people to be productive from home and publishing would do well to pay attention to that. But this is, I mean, it's definitely better than 1991. If we're in the land of print books and like audiobooks on tape are the mm. only things that exist and people can't work from home easily because nobody has internet in their home to stay connected. So you're what just actually making phone calls and trying to yeah. figure it Conference out. Conference calls, I guess. A, you know. Yeah, that's a nightmare. Different kind of a situation. I mean, look, we've talked about the market share by medium of the different formats and audio and ebook combined of late to be 50% mm -hmm. uh, of the dollar spent on books and reading. I'm assuming that's going to go up for the next two or three months, um, it will, you know, the whole pie won't get larger, but how much of the print book sales will go over into eBooks um, and audiobooks? If you're an audiobook publisher, this is macabre to say, are you, is this a, a moment of strength for you, right? You're d being distributed digitally anyway. I mean, I guess mm -hmm. the argument could be made that people mostly listen to podcasts and audiobooks on commutes and things like that. If they're not driving to work, I don't know. I guess over time we'll see, but, like you said, probably the only better time for this to happen for publishing would be like 10 years in the future where it's even right. more audiobook and ebook <laughs> and things like that. But it does go to show that some of Amazon's strength is its decentralized, no storefront nature. Um, you can get books to people when they want them, where they want them, without having storefronts. And as much as publishing is nervous about Amazon, they're probably thanking their lucky stars today. I, I, I don't know what else you could do if you're mm. in publishing. You know, we can still sell our books, our backlist titles and, uh, through Audible and Kindle, and people can still order print books in the mail. Um, 
It's on, restaurants have no equivalent. Movie theaters have no equivalent. You know, the the movie and TV industry has their own digital distribution problems. But publishing, if you want to buy, if you were going to buy a book two weeks ago, you can still buy that book and get it to your house and print if you want to today. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's just very interesting and unknowable to figure out how this is going to play out. Yeah, I would guess, and I'll be asking Josh more about it, that this is a moment for the stores that have held out on being active on social media and that have held out on having e-commerce platforms to have kind of a come to Jesus realization Mm. about the value of Mm. those that if you have to close your doors and you don't have customers who have access to you in other ways and are used to interacting with you that way, how are you going to get the message out about what measures you're taking and about how they can support you and how do they feel connected in an ongoing basis? Like there's a reason that one of the OG newsletter services is called constant contact, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like having your customers be reminded of you frequently and that you stay top of mind is really valuable in general. But like watching indie bookstores and then in my personal world, watching restaurants and watching yoga studios, the ones who have really robust social presences and good email newsletters are the ones who have been able to say not just here's what we're doing and here are the answers to all of your questions about our COVID-19 measures, but also if you care about us, here's how you can continue to support. And that's in some cases buy a gift card that you can use later on, or we're doing takeout, you know, curbside takeout delivery, or you can order your books from us and we will ship them to you. And I, I think like, you know, I'm sure that the publishing industry is grateful that Amazon exists right now to keep getting books out to people and maybe to go back to the kind of point I was making about libraries. Like if you're a person who's trying to support a a diverse infrastructure (laughs) and a diverse um, industry for publishing now and you've got book buying dollars, I would say put them behind an independent bookstore. And if there's not one in your town... There's one that you can find that's taking orders right now and will be yeah. happy. Your to hometown, you a family books. member's town, something else like that. Or and then, the, I don't know, the bookstore owned by the person we're interviewing at the end of the show. Yeah, go <laughs> yeah. check out print. I mean, I got curious because we've been talking about bookshop.org launching at mm. the end of January. And uh, I was curious to see because they publicly track the number of dollars they've raised for local bookstores through basically a percentage of sales. And when we first talked and checked in about it, it was had been open a month, so this was the end of February, and they've they had done like ten thousand dollars for local bookstores number now. So we're looking twenty days later, and that number is thir- about thirty five thousand dollars. So they've they've tripled the number they've done in the last two weeks. So that's another option if you want to go do that too. If you want to do audiobooks and you would prefer to to patron patronize someone else. Um, I might suggest Libro.fm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a deal if you use, I think, the offer code BR3. I'll put it in the show notes. You can get a deal there. Ebooks are a little trickier. Um, I think Kobo still does some revenue sharing with independent bookstores, if that's something you care about. Um, so there's ways to do it. But a lot of ways of saying um, Amazon has the best technology infrastructure, so they they stand to benefit the most, though there's these other infrastructures that exist that didn't exist even three years ago, not even six weeks ago in the yeah. case of, of, of bookshop.org. So I'll be curious to see Publishers Weekly's print units. I mean, they don't have the access to everything else, so it's so hard to know. You know, will they be able to tell us? They won't be able to tell us. They'll be able to say that print's down 14%, but will they tell us that audiobooks and ebooks are up 28% uh, month over month? Um, I'm not really sure. Where where else next? I mean, outside of what it might mean for the macroeconomic things, is this a blip for book selling? Is it a crisis moment in which radical change happens of some kind? I think you're right that there's a chance in the in the publishing industry office world if they can get on with sort of business as normal with people working re- remotely, it does have the potential to put a crack in the armor of the publishing world is almost exclusively a New York mm-hmm. um, kind. Again, it's already not, you know, Sourcebooks and uh, HMH and some other people. But we're talking about PRH, HarperCollins, um, Macmillan, Simon Schuster. It's it's a New York industry. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, that maybe people could be in other locations? And certainly in one, we've, one reason, we've one of the contributing factors to the lack of diversity in the in the publishing mm-hmm. rank and file is the enormous expense of living in New York combined with not very good pay for those entry level experiences um which if you could work from home with a kid 
in Sheboygan, maybe you have a different you have different you have different kinds of access to different kinds of employees. Yeah. Um, that's something we've seen in our company, and I don't want to compare it to, you know, what PRH's problem set is for hiring. But we've been able to hire different kinds of people because they don't have to move uh, to New York and live in a flat and get subsidized by something else um, in a different kind of way. That seems to me very interesting. I do wonder. I'm very concerned that there's going to be a extinction level event for a, a big piece of the independent book selling industry, mm-hmm. and then to move on down the list, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Which we just were, I guess, Rebecca, we didn't say this out loud, but in our conversation, starting to feel better about yeah. after all this. And now there's another, you know, a meteor coming. And have they turned it around? Can they turn it around? I just don't know. I just don't yeah. know what to say about Barnes & Noble. I mean, I think it's way too soon for Barnes & Noble to have been turned around. Like, yes. that's a big ship. It takes a long time to turn a ship that size around. Um, and we had been hearing rumors for a couple days that Barnes & Noble was telling their um, their employees, especially part-time booksellers, like, if we have to close stores, everyone is getting laid off. And I think it's important to note that these layoffs are always presented as temporary. Like we're closing, we can't pay you for your time off. So we are officially laying you off, which sucks, but also means that you can collect unemployment. And that's I think that's kinder than we're closing the doors and shruggy man, like just hang out for a while. Um, And it's, I mean, it's not a surprise that Barnes & Noble doesn't have months of operating cash yeah. on hand. Like, when you do have a cash reserve, and we were talking yesterday, I think, offline about how Apple was criticized for a long time for having, like, an astronomical amount of cash just in the bank. And not everybody is Apple. Almost no one is Apple. Yeah. But if you're able to run your business in a way where you have a lot of cash in the bank, like, this is a moment. Mm-hmm. This is what cash reserves are for, um, for trying to stay sustainable and afloat through something like this. And Barnes & Noble doesn't have cash in the bank. Like, you know, Apple, Nike, Patagonia, and REI are the ones that are listed, are the companies that are listed in James Daunt's memo um, to Barnes & Noble employees, which Vice got a hold of, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And those are companies that have been able to close their doors temporarily, and through their stated closing period, they're able to pay people. But we don't know, like, if if this went on, say, for six months, how many of those would still be able to pay employees during a six-month closure? It looks to me like what, and one thing they, you know, you and I were talking about, I think you said you heard someone else say it, mm. um, is this is companies trying to make sure that there is a company or a restaurant or yeah. a bookstore or whatever right. to come back to when this is over. Like the sooner that you close your doors right now and start taking protective measures, the more likely it is that you'll be able to weather this and bounce mm-hmm. back rather than running out every last bit of cash and not having any way to try to start back up when it's over or to rehire people Um I think this is going to be extinction level for many businesses and many, many industries. Um, And the ones that come back in some way are the ones that went through this really mindfully and carefully. And there's been also a lot of like just panic decisions made, um, which I don't know what the what the layoffs in other stores look like, if that's how intentional it is or how panicky it is. But you don't do that unless you really, really have reason to do it. I can't imagine how awful James Daunt feels. I can't imagine how awful all of these booksellers feel. This is a horrible thing to be anticipating. Um, mm-hmm. And I just certainly hope that we'll find a place where when we come through this, more of these stores can reopen than yeah. not and be able to succeed. Yeah. And we don't know, I should say, what kinds mm-hmm. of assistance in various forms will come to right. small businesses. You know, it's, you know, you see all kinds of things being bandied about. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a financial expert. I'm not an economist. Um, it is unprecedented levels of quick funding, mm-hmm. at least in the U.S. government. Um, I think there's some panicking going on there. Maybe that's right. I mean, one weird thing about this particular situation is that swifter earlier action was the right move in a lot of cases and a lot of people didn't take it i don't know if people are learning it too late i mean the swift move if you're the the moment your business starts to turn negative as a bookstore on a daily p l was the right day to close your store because you have fewer fewer negative days right hard it's a hard pill to swallow for your employees who you know, may not have emergency reserves of their own. They may not, they have their own overhead, right? That they don't have any revenue to go for. 
I'm not sure you could, in very few cases, I think, when we're talking about small businesses, is it a case of an owner or someone else protecting the giant pile of cash that they could be spending on on supporting employees um, and rather they're using it to, you know, keep up the maintenance on their yacht or something else like that. I know that's a very gross example, but I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, Barnes and Noble years of weakness means you're weak when yeah. you need to be strong. And that's a, that's the other thing about the Barnes and Noble story is they've puttered along in a great economic environment which means when a real catastrophe comes along, they're in no position to weather it. Yeah, um, I think unfortunately, I think that's true, and it's like it's a generous reading, and I think it's an accurate generous reading that most businesses in most industries, and certainly most bookstores, yeah, most bookstore owners, even if they are personally wealthy, are not sitting around on like secret extra piles of cash yeah. that they can just fling at at any problem mm -hmm. and especially because it's so unknown like i think that um i saw a lot of this criticism directed towards sarah mcnally who owns mcnally jackson that like if we had a magical way to know how long this was going to last right um there is a world where folks who own these businesses might be able to say okay well i i can cover four weeks out of my personal mm -hmm. you know out of my personal cash pile um but not knowing how long it's going to last or how deep the cuts are going to be financially and what this looks like in a macroeconomic situation makes it really difficult to make that kind of decision. And it just, we were talking yesterday about how it just feels like everybody is turning to someone else hoping that that person mm -hmm. magically has more information or the answer and the right way to do it. And there's, I think just not one right way to handle a moment like this other than being as careful and considerate about your choices as you can yeah. be. But it's very uncertain. We we don't know. Like the, it, this could go on three more weeks. It could really, I mean, it could go on three more months and that impacts everybody. Right. And there's really no planning for it. There's no precedent. And I don't think many businesses at all have had like apocalypse planning measures where they've said, here's what's going to happen if we have to shut our doors for 12 weeks. Um, that's a conversation probably a lot of businesses are going to have in the future. Yep. Um, but nobody's nobody was prepared for this. Well, it got me thinking again about um, uh, Nassim Taleb's seminal under understood, even though it's widely talked about book, Black Swan, mm -hmm. um, about how we tend to underestimate the likelihood of unlikely events. This is something, you know, if you read 538 and Nate Silver and those kinds of you know, statisticians, they talk about, especially when it comes to betting markets, they tend to undervalue the one in a hundred year event. Well, here's the thing. If you, if there's a hundred, one in a hundred year flood, a one in a hundred year drought, a one in a hundred year financial crisis, a one in a hundred year pandemic, if you have 10 one in a hundred year things, that means on average, you're going to have one of those things every 10 years, mm -hmm. right? Which we don't think about it in those terms. And I think a lot of businesses, and I'll put our business in that pile of late, we've, we've thought about it a little differently recently because we've like, you know, we're going to have a recession at some point. We got to start thinking about that. Um, I, th I wonder if we have to think differently uh, on a large term about how we prepare and understand, you know, climate change has brought it to the fore a little bit. We're seeing weather events that we haven't seen with this kind of frequency, you know, there, but for the grace of whatever, have we not um, at least all over America had sort of the Australian wildfire mm -hmm. sort of a situation, but it does make me wonder, you know, brought home again that in this sort of, are we, are we, have we been the grasshopper when we should have been the ants? Um, for the last decade in America. And so, you know, I, I could get into a whole thing and, and some of it's my <laughs> own anxiety. But it did make me wonder about where to turn. And I, I do wonder, and you know me and people listening to the show, I haven't been sort of um, chicken little-ish or Pollyanna-ish about Amazon's place in the changing landscape of book retailing. But if ever publishing were to intervene on behalf of independent bookstores, now's the time to do it. And I don't even know what that would look like. Um, I don't, you know, a $10,000 grant to every independent bookstore in America on behalf of the publishing industry, I think would make a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And probably not cost that much money, frankly. I mean, every member of the ABA gets a $10,000 check. Don't worry about scaling it to the size, whatever. You know, I don't, you, I don't think this is one of those things we want to get too granular about. If you really want these bookstores to survive, a direct cash infusion, especially because this is not a business model problem necessarily. I mean, maybe this is give people to rethink well, you know, what their cash reserves are on an individual basis. But like in a good economic environment, bookstores have shown 
that most of them don't, the ones that are operating don't actually need some sort of largesse from some patron, right? right? You know, they don't need, they're selling books and they're doing their thing. If bookstores want there to be, even the independent bookstore community we have, is it worth $25 million to them as a one-time cost? If that would do it. Now, I haven't done the math. I have sort of looked at it from, you know, 10,000 and there's a thousand stores. You could do the math. On the scope of these multi-billion dollar international conglomerates, they spend that much money on marketing. They spend that much money on oh. their giant um, Penguin Random House's giant Midtown Tower. They spend that money like as a one-time cost. I just wonder, even just as a dollars and cents thing, forget about for the moment, even though I think you shouldn't, forget the moment just sort of the, the human thing to do. If they value these channels in the way they seem to say they do, this seems like the moment to, to really put some money behind Yeah, I, th- I mean, truly a moment to put your money where your mouth is. Um, if you are the publishing industry who does spend a lot of time paying lip service to how much they value independent bookstores. And an infusion like that could make a huge difference. There are also a lot of things in the business models that could change. And, yeah. you know, like extend the terms on bookstores credit, give deeper wholesale discounts, uh, make it possible for bookstores to have better margins. Like Mm. I think we were talking just a week or two ago on this show that the books are the thing with the lowest profit margin in a bookstore. And so like uh, many of the bookstores that are thriving are doing so not just because they have great events and they're good at selling books and they understand their communities, but because they have great sidelines. And it's the t-shirts and the journals and the pens and the candles that they're earning margin on that really make a difference. Um, but I would love to see the industry you know, yeah. take a step back and do something like that. And I think that kind of a change to the model takes more time because you want to make sure that works over, you know, 12, 18, 24, five years. So you don't want to screw up a decimal point on that sort of situation. But saying, you know, James Patterson, the, the crap out of this, right? That's what JP mm-hmm. has done over time is sort of given grants year by year. Well, how about a one-time bailout? Um, for all these stores that were told matter to the world of books and reading, and they were told matter. And you know who has the deep pockets here in our world? There's two There's two forces. There's the publishers and there's Amazon. Well, yep. I don't think we're going to, we should hold our breath for Amazon bailing out <laughs> independent bookstores. And maybe, you know, that's a that seems silly to even say. But the other source of cash here that's out of scale with the monthly P&Ls of independent bookstores is the, the big guys. Um which are owned by even bigger multinational conglomerates yeah, and with huge look, piles of money. I'm not naive about how these balance sheets work. Just because Laguerre has a multi-billion dollar balance sheet doesn't mean Hachette can just tap into that. I get right, that. Of I, I totally get that. But that's, a, that's, that's not to say that there isn't, you know, if Hachette gave a million dollars and PRH, which is four times bigger, four million, like you could get to 10 million pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe keep some of these stores open. Maybe they could open tomorrow, or they could open sooner. Maybe they could stay in business at all. I wonder if anyone's thinking about that, even just from a future-going revenue point of view. Does it pencil out? It feels like it might pencil out over three years to inject $10 million now um, to protect future revenues and sales channels and places for authors' events, for pa- mm-hmm. places for, for people to find out about books and see books on their social media accounts. I, I don't know, but it seems like where else are you going to go? Um, and this is the moment in a way we've really never seen before. Because um, I could understand publishers. I think we've been skeptical to a little bit of the Kickstarter. We're, we need $25,000 today to keep our business open without showing us the book kind of a situation on an independent, on an individual bookstore by bookstore basis. Maybe that's true. It's hard to know. But this is a unique event. And for bookstores that were open and operating for the last 12 months before this, there's every reason to think once this is over, they could continue to do that if they can just make it through the fire. Um, and maybe this would be enough of a lifeline for, you know, I mean, I don't know right now, Rebecca, like what are we talking about in terms of attrition for independent bookstores? I think it could oh. be quite severe, frankly, and I don't want to scare anybody, but meaningful, you know, more than double digit percentage of bookstores, I think are in danger of never reopening at this point. Yeah, I don't even know how to begin to guess there, but yeah. certainly a bailout sooner rather than later that well, would that's, allow that's great. Yeah, that would great allow point. store owners to pay their staff while the doors are closed, or to at least provide some kind of or pay their rent. I don't even know. Yeah, pay their rent. I don't even know if they need to pay employees. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure we keep. Yeah. I'm not sure what's reasonable, and I'm not sure it would be enough to. You know, if we got to July 15th and whatever, assuming that this is a three-month situation and bookstores could open their doors to the public in, sort of, in something like a normal operation ways, what would it take so they can open their doors 
and they rehire enough employees to do that because I'm worried it's not just the employee salary that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I think it's all the overhead that's the, the yeah. problem at this point. Um, so that's my, I don't know, hot take. I'm not sure even sure, but I've been thinking about it over the last couple of days of like, boy, this seems like the moment of all the bailouts. Uh, you know, the airline industry is going to get $50 billion probably to bail them out from the federal government. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways, the publishing in, the publishers are the federal government for indie, independent bookstores in a, in a lot of ways in terms of how the money comes down and... Um, I'm not sure. If you've got ideas about how this would work, why it'd be feasible, podcast at bookrad.com. If there's other things that we haven't talked about, I need to pass the mic over to uh, Rebecca and Josh here. And somehow I haven't done any sponsor breaks. I'll have to go back and put them in. So if they sound awkward uh, here at the <laughs> end, you'll why. know. That's why. I apologize for that. But there's so much to talk about. And we didn't even touch you know, individual stories. Um, I do want to mention, I'll put this link in the show notes, that we've created a story stream um, of all the stuff we're putting on the site that's related to COVID-19. It includes all sorts of stuff. We didn't even talk today about Macmillan walking back the ebook pricing right. and offering <laughs> discount. We'll have to wait that for next show. Uh, PRH offering open licenses for online mm-hmm. story times. George R. R. Martin says he's writing every day. Um, I'm not even sure. I don't even want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I don't, I don't think... <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what I can say about that other than put a link. But there's resources, authors doing events, Amy Adams and Jennifer Gardner doing Save With Stories. There's so much going on that is news about this, but also the reactions to news, people trying to trying things out. Haymarket's doing free books. Archipelago is doing free ebooks. Um, but the best way to look, and this is going to be updated, I think multiple stories a day we're going to have updates. Yeah, but the link in so the far. show notes is a little awkward to say, so I won't say it. But if you go to bookwrite.com, we're also having as a headline, we can see COVID-19 stories from the bookish world. Um, if you have, If you're trying to teach your kids something while you're home, God bless you. I know your your situation too. You know, there's all sorts of resources related to books and reading there. So I highly check that out. Um, this is the story we're going to be talking about for the foreseeable future. So we've got time to get to these. But if you have specific needs or interests, that's going to be the best place to keep up with that because we're not going to be able to talk about everything um, that shows up there. Rebecca, um, stay, stay, stay. Just stay. <laughs> Just stay. <laughs> I've done so much meditation, Jeff. This is the moment I've been waiting for. Just sit still. (laughs) Sit still. Do nothing. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. I'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. All right, listeners. Well, as promised, uh, you have heard me and Jeff speculate about things. And so we got wise and called in an expert. I am joined now by Josh Christie, who is a co-owner of Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, and one of my favorite bookstores, uh, you know, ever. And you're probably familiar with him. He's been on the show before. So Josh, thank you for taking some time out of what I know is a very busy and uh, unexpected week. Yeah, thank you for having me. And and thank you for calling me an expert. That's very <laughs> kind of you. I'm a little disappointed to hear that I'm just one of your favorite bookstores. But you know, that's Look, we don't want to hurt any other bookstores feelings. But I think you know where I stand. <laughs> Um, I didn't host a podcast for like a million years with owners of any other bookstore. So, right. Uh, so obviously a lot of questions and I think everybody has more questions than answers right now, but I'd love it if you could just talk to us a little bit about how COVID has been impacting the independent bookstore world and like what you've seen other stores doing, if there are any sort of general industry responses and what you all are doing at print. Sure. Yeah, I will speak uh, specifically to what we're doing at print, um, both because it's the only place I can really speak with authority um, and also because things are changing so fast. We're recording this conversation on Thursday and, you know, things will probably have changed significantly by the end of the day today, let alone when the show is coming out. Um, But at print on March 16th, so earlier this week, we decided to close our doors to the public. Um, like a lot of businesses we're predicting or at least hoping initially for about a two week closure to the public. Although the more news is coming out about the pandemic, the more it sounds like that will probably be, um, much too conservative an estimate will probably be closed for quite a quite a bit longer than that in terms of being open to the public for browsing. Um, while our doors are closed, we've shifted to online orders through our website, printbookstore.com. And also phone orders uh, at 207-536-4778. We're offering free nationwide shipping or local delivery here in Portland for orders over $20 uh, and curbside pickup for orders of any size. 
Um, we're also letting people know about their options for ebooks and audiobooks, both of which they can get from us. Uh, ebooks, we use a platform called Paper Trail. Uh, so we're uh, papertrail.printbookstore.com and then, or excuse me, printbookstore.papertrail.com and then uh, Libro.fm for audiobooks, which is Libro.fm slash printbookstore. Um, we're using the temporary closure here to tackle administrative and backend tasks in the store, including updating our website and our point of sale system and a lot of deep cleaning and organization. Uh, there's no lack of things to do, not that there ever is here at the bookstore, and we hope to keep our entire staff on for their regularly scheduled hours while we weather this crisis. Uh, we're also in a position, um, basically from day one, how we design the store. Um, our staff all has... Um, medical insurance, which we provide, and also um, paid time off for sick leave. So if anyone gets sick, of course, we're, we're making sure that they stay out of the store. Uh, I think especially the, the earlier things I mentioned, the curbside pickup, local delivery, national shipping, uh, those are the things that it seems like all bookstores around the country, or at least most independent bookstores around the country, are doing in terms of weathering this. Um, there are different levels to which bookstores have have attached on to either ebooks or audiobooks, so that's probably a little less uh, less in place at other stores than it is here. Um, but but that's really what we're looking at doing. We're also looking at our options for direct. Um, shipping from our warehouses, either wholesalers or publisher partners, to uh, customers. So if we get to the point where they are in some other places uh, where we have to shelter in place and we can't come into the store at all, um, it, it means that we'll still be able to get books to people. You're not just going to set up camp in the store. No, I think, uh, you know, as appealing as that sounds, part of it, it it depends on what the actual shelter-in-place orders look like if they happen here. I know that in some places there's a required reduction of workforce mm -hmm. or having non-essential employees forbidden from coming in, which means either myself or my business partner could still be here and probably would be here, but it would mean that our staff wouldn't be able to come in anymore. And, and we would have them um, do work from home, either on the website or on um, Edelweiss, which is the big uh, ordering platform and also kind of event pitching, a w event coordinating platform for our industry. So um, our full-time staff, one is our um, children's buyer and manager and another is our um, events coordinator. So both would have plenty to, to work from home as well if they needed to. What's the customer response been like so far? It's been really encouraging so far. Uh, we have been straight out in terms of fulfilling orders. We're getting tons of calls, tons of website orders. Um, something I've kind of wanted to do just because I like getting out and driving around um, is the local delivery. And I've been doing multiple runs to dozens of homes a day delivering books, which has been really fun, um, or at least fun in COVID-adjusted terms, I should say. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but the response has been really great. Um, that has sustained since really like last Thursday, last Friday, when this all seemed to start to um, really impact people and people started to react to it. Our worry, of course, is as long as this um, continues, how long that will be sustained. Uh, that's especially true if um, people start losing income and losing work, because we totally appreciate you know, any romantic ideas about books aside, books, generally speaking, are a luxury rather than a necessity. So we're a line item on people's budgets that will probably shrink before before other stuff. Yeah, uh, It sounds like it must be nice to get to be a book fairy for people right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice. You know, it, it's a little weird maintaining six foot plus feet of distance and just waving to people through their windows after I ring their doorbell. But um, it is nice to, to get books out into the world. And it's nice to see how much people appreciate it as well, um, as well as the fact they're supporting us. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned eBooks and audiobooks, and that was something that came up when, uh, when Jeff and I were talking in the earlier part of the show that we recorded yesterday. Uh, just sort of, we were, we got down the line of like, how much worse would this have been in like 1991 before the internet and before eBooks were even an option or before audiobooks were an option where, uh, if there is some situation where we like can't get physical goods to each other, um, what ebooks and audiobooks do? Are you seeing any uptick in your customers' use of those, or kind of thinking that if there's going to be an uptick, it would happen after you know delivery has to shut down or something like that? Yeah, I think that's really when the uptick would happen. We've seen pretty. Um, 
slow but sustained growth in terms of our ebook market through the store and much more significant growth uh, in terms of audiobooks, but we haven't seen any sort of bump yet in terms of attachment to those services. Um, I think that a lot of people still have their preferences for whether they want to do print or digital or audio or a mix of those. Um, and at least so far as we're able to maintain delivery and stuff like that, um, they don't have to change those those in any significant way because they can still get physical books if they want to. That's great. Still some comforts of the things that we prefer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's nice. You mentioned uh, when you were talking about what the staff might be able to do in terms of work from home looking at catalogs and pitching for events. And so I'm also wondering, you know, as we've been hearing, our sales folks have been hearing at Book Riot about titles that were supposed to get published this spring that are being changed. And, you know, that impacts for us, it impacts like when ad campaigns run. Um, for you, I imagine it impacts what the, or I'm sure it impacts what books are available to you then to stock into the store to sell to customers. Are you starting to be thinking about or what are the conversations in the industry like right now around, you know, if there's a big delay in publishing a lot of titles, how that how those dominoes fall um, in a way that affects indie stores? Yeah, we really don't know is the short answer. Um, election years are always weird years anyway, because publishers tend to clear the decks in the fall for the period of the election and push stuff to the spring. Um, so there's some open space for stuff to get pushed back. Um, but there's really a question of, you know, promotion and all of that stuff, which speaks to you what you were saying about ad buys and things like that um you know how much energy will be put into promotion and where that will go um at least for the short term and probably for the medium term we've seen a lot of cancellations of um author events and book signings and stuff like that sensibly of course right. um but there's a question of how much of that can be converted into virtual um, events and, and webcasts and stuff like that. And then beyond that, you know, where those sales are going to be captured for those events, whether they can go to independent bookstores or where they'll end up somewhere else. And that depends on the publishers. It depends on the authors. It depends on what platforms they're using to broadcast these events. But we're obviously in a, a unprecedented time now. So we really don't know. <laughs> I was like a part of me was hoping that you would have secret magical answers that no one else has. Alas, I, I <laughs> don't even have all the answers that most other people have. So I don't have any secret ones. <laughs> I guess we'll let that slide. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, Jeff and I talked earlier in the show, listeners heard us talk about uh, McNally Jackson and Powell's two of the biggest indie independently owned chains doing significant layoffs of their workforce. There have been all kinds of responses in the world of books and reading to that. Um, I think just a lot of sadness and fear seeing that happen. And it got us wondering about the larger industry systems in place. Um, some, uh, something that you and I have talked about offline pretty extensively is the connection between how the publishing industry is set up and how those business models impact indie bookstores business models and what you're able to do or not do for sustainability and offering employee benefits, um, which it, I know that you all, as you were telling us, have set up for print. What are some things that the publishing industry can do um, potentially or that you would like to see the publishing industry do to support independent bookstores ongoing viability or systemic changes that are maybe overdue that we might really be seeing the impact of now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, the layoffs are heartbreaking to hear. And also, like, I, I wouldn't lay too much of that at the feet of publishers just because you know, layoffs are happening all across, you know, mm -hmm. small businesses around the country, not just independent bookstores. Um, but for publishers, I feel like the big thing that we struggle with as independent booksellers is margin, uh, not to get too in the weeds on it, but the margins on books are less than they are on most other products. Um, they tend to be 40 to 45% as opposed to 50 plus percent, which is what the margin is on most um, other products that you would see in the store. And you add to that the fact that books, unlike almost anything else you would buy, have the price printed on the back. So there's really no flexibility in terms of us increasing our margins on anything. So, you know, some sort of changes there. I'm not um, an economist and I don't know what those exact changes would be. Um, but a little bit more flexibility in terms of giving us a little bit more margin would free up money for 
um, payrolls, payroll, let alone other things. Um, you know, and I feel like in the short, like those are kind of the big systemic industry mm -hmm. things that we've been dealing with for years as independent booksellers. In the short term, our hope, of course, is for um, extended dating in terms of our paying invoices and stuff like that while we weather this crisis. I hope that no publishers are expecting their regular net 30 or net 60 uh, payments for, for books that are sitting in our stores for canceled events or mm -hmm. um, when we can't have customers come in. And we were, Jeff and I were sort of fantasizing about an industry bailout of independent bookstores. <laughs> um, like what if publishers gave indie bookstores $25 million to ensure that they'd be able to reopen after this? Um, I mean, I, mean I wouldn't turn it down. So. <laughs> All $25 million to print. Yeah. Oh, the things we could do. Yeah. <laughs> For readers who are concerned about their local independent bookstore or the general viability after this COVID crisis of independent bookstores as a cultural resource and entity and just something that they want to you know, continue seeing exist in the world, what can readers be doing to participate in supporting that happening? So as ever, the best way to support your independent bookstore in good times and bad is to buy things from them. Um, it's always great to see online people talk about how much they love independent bookstores and how glad they are to have them in their communities. Um, and we'll never turn that down. But actually purchasing stuff from us is the only, literally the only way to keep us around. Um, and at this kind of uncertain time, like I said, I've said what we're doing at print, but it is similar to what a lot of indies are doing around the country. Um, order from us and we will get books to you however we can, um, whether it's delivery, whether it's pickup, whether it's shipping. Um, the best, best, best way you can support bookstores right now, if you have the means, is to buy gift certificates, mm -hmm. which is an injection of um, cash that we can use for payroll and utilities and stuff like that. Um, and you know, it's a future book for yourself or someone you love. <laughs> so, so we can fulfill that in the future when things normalize a little bit, but the gift certificate is a huge, huge help. You know, it, it we get a little bit less from, uh, either ebook sales or audiobook sales, but those are both hugely helpful avenues as well, because they add very little in terms of, um, labor to our uh, staff at the moment, which tends to be a, a little limited or are pivoting to doing tons of shipping and web orders, which they aren't used to in a lot of stores. Um, so using a platform like Paper Trail or like Libro FM uh, means that uh, you're getting a, you're making a purchase, we're getting, um, you know, something similar to an affiliate fee for it. You know, we're getting some portion of that, um, of that purchase and it's all happening kind of in the background. Um, also, I would definitely suggest reaching out to um, your bookstore, your local bookstore and signing up for their newsletter and following them on social media as things evolve um, as this crisis continues. Um, that'll be the best way for you to know what is changing, what is happening, how best to support our stores going forward. Um, Great. And yeah. I can note, because I'm a user of it, that Libro FM is an awesome audiobook platform and has access to the full catalog of audiobooks that that other big audiobook platform has. Uh, so that's... Yeah, that's like and that, I should say, like, something I've really appreciated about Libro FM is... There are the the other large audiobook platform um, has some exclusives because of course they do. But um, Libro FM has audio an increasing catalog of audio from um, author events at independent bookstores around the country, um, which is which is a cool thing to be able to download and listen to authors speak. Oh, in, that's in cool! I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Yeah, I've really enjoyed Libro and the functionality of it is like totally slick and smooth. So I think listeners, if you're looking for a really easy switch to make, you can switch over to Libro for your audio stuff immediately. Um, Josh, thanks so much for taking time today to talk with me about this and help our listeners understand like straight from boots on the ground uh, what it's like right now today on March 20th, because you're right, this will be different by the time the show drops, I'm sure, in some ways um, on Monday. Where again, it probably changed since we started this right? conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's not look at our push notifications right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can our listeners find print if they would like to particularly um, support you all right now and buy their books from you? 
which I certainly encourage them to do. Um, the <laughs> easiest way is printbookstore.com. Um, right on our front page, we have links to um, the audiobook and ebook platforms. Um, and, and that's the easiest way. We are, you know, our core competency has never been uh, being an online store. We're primarily a brick and mortar store. So it is not as slick maybe as the biggest uh, book retailers out there, but it's certainly a, a functional and we think easy to use website. Um, as I said, uh, shipping is free nationwide for orders over $20. And if you're here in Portland, Maine, we can do curbside pickup or local delivery. Great. Well, and I'll give a quick recommendation to, um, I'm cooking my way through this event. Uh, so folks, if you're looking for something to order, let me recommend to you the Sister Pie Cookbook, which Josh recommended to me, and uh, Nothing Fancy by Allison Roman. Both great cookbooks. Um, and if we're recommending books, I loved um, You Never Forget Your First mm -hmm. uh, by Alexis Coe, which is the first significant biography of George Washington by a woman. Um, it's really great and, and surprisingly funny throughout. It reminds me a lot of um, Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff or Emily Wilson's translation of The Odyssey mm -hmm. in terms of um, this history that we all know and has been fed to us throughout our lives recontextualized through a different frame. It's just fascinating. And perfect for this moment where we're recontextualizing everything. Yes. <laughs> great. Well, I think we'll end there. Thanks again, Josh, and best of luck. Thank you.